This episode is brought to you by the Denver Public Library. This season is all about women writers who are working to create community impact. We think elevating the work of these writers is so important that we've partnered with one of our favorite community resources, our local library system, Denver Public Library to be exact. And whether you're in Denver or someplace else, the library wants you to know that they're still here providing vital community resources. The Denver Public Library works to foster a culture of exploration, innovation, and forward thinking, and is focused on creating a strong community where everyone thrives. Head over to denverlibrary.org to access the latest virtual events and resources and find some of the great books by many of the talented authors we've had the pleasure of featuring this season. Hey, it's Tanji Renee. Before we get to the show, I'm popping in to quickly ask for a huge favor. If you're a fan of this show, we could really use your support. We have a big goal of growing our listenership this season, and we could only do it with your help. Please take a few seconds to subscribe to this podcast. Look at your phone right now and hit subscribe. Next, if you're listening on an app like Apple Podcasts that allows you to leave a review, please give us a five-star review. Reviews actually go a really long way in helping our show get discovered by new listeners. And if you want to go the extra mile, leave us a written review in addition to the five stars. That helps even more. This show has grown because of the incredible support of our listeners, and we have an ambitious goal of getting to our next 10,000 downloads this season. We can't reach our goal without your help, so please subscribe rate this podcast, and don't forget to keep sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. Just hit share from wherever you're listening. That's it. Easy peasy. Thanks in advance for all your support. Smooches! Hey friends, it's me again, Tangi Renee, and welcome back to another episode of That's What She Did podcast. In case you forgot, this is season six, the She Wrote That season, where we are bringing together the voices of incredible authors across genres who are doing really impactful work, and we think you need to know about it. So I'm excited to introduce you to our next author, Virginia Mendez. She's the co-founder of The Feminist Shop, a feminist brand that educates on the topic of feminist issues and gives back to the cause. She's also a mom of two and now a feminist children's book author of the adorable and bilingual book called Mika Ilolo, a book that parents can use to help kids navigate the world that is filled with gender stereotypes. Did I mention that it's bilingual? It's both English and Spanish. It really is the cutest book. I had such a good time getting to know Virginia, her work, the feminist shop, and the characters Mika y Lolo. And don't forget that you have an opportunity to win this book for yourself and your own kids or to give away if you would like to. The holiday season is coming up. And to enter that, check our show notes, click on the link, head to our website, that's what she did podcast.com and make sure you enter. All you got to do is enter one quick entry form. It takes 30 seconds to do. And every week we are giving away the author's book. So check it out. I can't wait to introduce you to Virginia and Mika Ilolo. So let's get started. Welcome to season six of That's What She Did podcast, everyone. I'm so excited to have you back for this season. We have a new theme, as you know, it's the She Wrote That season where we are amplifying 
the work of women authors all across the globe. And I'm super excited to bring you our first children's book of this season. We'll potentially have another one, but I'm not for sure on that yet. So this may be the only children's book that we have for this season. And I'm super excited about it. It's so, so cute. Illustrations, the writing, it's just adorable. And I'm really excited to introduce you to our author, Virginia Mendez. Virginia is a mom of two from Spain, living in Northern Ireland. She is the author of two more upcoming books and a business owner and of The Feminist Shop, a really great online store where, you know, by the time you listen to this, Christmas is going to be coming up soon. You should definitely check it out. We will link to it in our show notes for you. Help me welcome Virginia. Welcome, Virginia. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me from the other side of the globe. Yes, my pleasure. Time zones are hard to navigate, so I appreciate you for making it work on your end. You're way ahead of us in your time zones. You're like in the future. Yes, you're in the future. I'm still in the past, but I'm happy we were able to meet in the middle. So Virginia, tell me, so you're an activist, you're an author, you're a business owner. There's all of these multifaceted layers to you and what you're doing in the world. So tell me how you came to this place of activism and deciding that this is what you were going to do with your life. You were going to find different ways to make an impact on issues that were important to you. Well, funny enough, if I have to tell my story, I have to start with, I was not a feminist. I hated the word feminist. That was not for me by everything that now I hear people saying. And I'm like, but that's not true. (laughs) It would be me saying it. So I think that is really an important part of my journey because I think it is a journey for me, but it's a journey for almost everybody. I don't think nobody wakes up and is like, I got it because it's so rooted in everything that we do and we learn and we listen and we see. I was always feisty and I always cared about things deeply and argue. But um, one day my father-in-law told me like, yes, you're a feminist, Virginia. And I was like, no, I'm not. And <laughs> yes, you are. And because I wanted to prove him wrong, because that's what I do. Like, I'm going to investigate and then show you that I'm right. And I was like, oh, oops, actually, I might be a feminist after all. Um, so I started reading and researching and realizing that what I thought actually had a name and what I thought it was feminist it wasn't also funny enough a lot of the things that I was scared by them and I swore those were the reason I'm not a feminist now I'm like yeah I actually agree with those two (laughs) but that's fine because even if I hadn't even I will still be allowed to call myself feminist so yeah I think it's always a fact of the more you know the more you learn and the more you care Mm -hmm. it's sort of like an endless circle Mm-hmm. So I start reading more and, and then seeing it everywhere and caring and then getting myself more informed. And, and then you cannot unwatch it. You cannot be unaware. And I think it happens with all the unfairness things or inequalities that you suddenly, you have a moment of, of like illumination moment and then it's there. It was always there in your face. You just were not seeing it. And then you cannot not care anymore. Mm-hmm. So I was working and that was sort of a passion, just arguing with people. Just Um, arguing? Just arguing, that's what I do. Let's pause for a second though. Why were you so adamant that you were not a feminist, that you didn't identify with that at all? Well, because I believe what they said that I didn't need to be a victim 
you know, nobody's going to stop me. Um, women are already more in the university and they're getting higher grades. So it's a matter of time that we get the higher positions and, you know, we're much better than before. The job is done. And I don't feel like I've ever been. And things that happened to me, they were just normal. You know, I didn't think like, oh, yeah, it's not normal that I'm in a bar and a guy that I don't know grabbed me. I mean, it was just what it was. Mm-hmm. It was just what it was to come home, just calling my girlfriends to see they were fine. I didn't even ever had to question that that was not okay. It mm-hmm. just was what it was. So it felt like I, did, I didn't need the victimism. I didn't need the name. I just need to let me, you know, I just wanted justice, but I didn't need a name under it that, you know, make it about women about just give me equality period but we're already fighting for it so I don't know to be honest it's even difficult for me now to understand because (laughs) for me it's so clear it's like how can I even defend that but it happens if wherever you move is very undiverse and everybody have that sort of talks and sort of impressions and that's what normal feels like for you Mm -hmm. and then I think once you're out of your bubble and then you start seeing things from other perspectives and listening to different people and just learning, then then you change from it. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got pregnant, I was already a militant, not angry activist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was huge, huge change for the people around me, like, wow. So I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, but I did know that I was going to make my purpose in life that that kid did not feel any different for what it was. Like I was not going to, you know, get him into a narrow box just because of his genitalia, basically. I started writing this book and then, and then I find out I have, was having a boy, mm-hmm. but I still was like, I just want him to read books and strong girls are the main characters and the boys, you know, get to cry and get to be sensible and they don't feel like it's always about them. Mm-hmm. Like they have a part in the story, but it doesn't always have to be with their point of view. So yeah, I was writing um, for my son. And then I got pregnant again. The book wasn't finished because that's what happened when you're a mom. <laughs> and that time it was a girl. Uh, so I finished the book um, in my second pregnancy. I just started writing it when I found I was pregnant with my first. And I finished when just literally 30 minutes before getting to the OR for my C-section, I was sending it to the editorial so they could start printing it. <laughs> I was actually had the email ready and they called me in and I was like, Chris, send it. And then I made you the OR. So yeah, there's a lot of pictures of me dressed to go to give birth, huge belly and just writing on the computer. <laughs> like, this need to be finished. What, in 20 minutes, my life is going to change forever. You worked so, yeah. on it literally up until the moment of birth. Yeah. <laughs> like- I gave birth loads that day. Like, that's me done. Book done. Baby done. No more kids. That's me. So- that's amazing. So what did you do? So before you started the feminist shop and you started writing were you in a different career before then oh yeah completely actually the feminist shop was after the book and the book was my first introduction to this life and I used to work in Deloitte and PwC so Mm -hmm. big corporate companies (laughs) <laughs> yep. <laughs> I work in Deloitte in Spain, moved to Northern Ireland with my husband. He's from here. Started working in PwC. And then I moved to a small recruitment company, international company. 
that were their speciality was languages. So that was great because I speak some, well, I speak Italian and French. So that was good for me to just practice language and be in touch with people. And I love the small company vibe mm-hmm. after coming from big corporate. Um, but then I was just like ready to do something that I was mine and I was passionate about. And I wanted to give it a proper opportunity. So yeah, I quit my job and focused in the book. And then while I was going to really, really focus in the book, then we Chris is my husband and I came with this idea with the feminist shop and, and then I took over and it's been, I mean, it's, it's huge in terms of time mm-hmm. and work and all that. So doing both at the same time, it's all very related anyway. I mean, it's all smashing the patriarchy yes. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a completely different life going from corporate to, as you say, smashing the patriarchy. <laughs> Yeah, and much more fulfilling, less pay, if you ask me. <laughs> yes, <but> less pay. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> but much more fulfillment. In terms of personal pride, I feel like the value I'm adding to the world right now matters. Yeah. I feel like this is important. And my voice, what I have to say, matters. So did um, people in your life freak out a little bit when you turned from this corporate person to pink hair and like I started a business called the feminist shop and I write children's books about gender stereotypes and and down with the patriarchy how did people react to that Extended family are loving it don't don't get me wrong Christmas are the delight Nobody can joke about you anymore. That's not a joke. <laughs> like, wow, what happened? A little bit of a killjoy for a lot of people. But um, to be honest, I'm very proud because a lot of people have grown with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like some of my friends, have my mom, my sister, we've had a lot of conversations. I mean, I didn't wake up one day being her and be like, that's my new me. For a lot, some people does feel like that because mm-hmm. even for me, sometimes... I realize how much I change my opinion still now quite fast, which is something that I'm not ashamed of saying. I think it's very important. People seem to feel like if you think something that is, you have to defend it to the end, but we're here to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. So now whenever people ask me, oh, are you vegan? Give me 18 months. I don't know who I'm going to be in 18 months. <laughs> so far, no, but you know, I'm really strange. But no, in general, conversations have been life-changing for all of us. So I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of my friends have been questioning things too and bringing a lot of things to the table that have made me change and them change. So I think a lot of people have come in this journey with me and a lot of the people that have not, they're not really in my life anymore because, well, you have a limited amount of people and at some Mm -hmm. point, if you are in a completely different page, then, well, that's it. They were part of your past, but yeah, you've grown in different directions. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with you that it's an evolution and... I think the most important thing is to try to have a growth mindset about whatever you believe and be able to look at that critically. I think, you know, I do this thing where I'm like always trying to interrogate my own belief system. And I think it's so important to ask ourselves, why? Why do I think this? Why do I believe this? How did I come to this conclusion? And I think by doing that process for myself, I, like you, have become this person who changes my opinions relatively quickly. (laughs) I can think one thing. Convince. And I can be convinced about something. And then you're like, but think about this and this. I'm like, 
oh, I was wrong. And then I'm convinced. Right. Like, I believe, I'm very passionate about my beliefs. I just mm-hmm. don't think they're the only truth. They're my truth. And while they serve me, they're my truth. But if you challenge them and convince me, then I'm more than happy to embrace another mm-hmm. truth and defend it passionately. But I think that's good. I think the problem we're having now is that in every conversation, there's wars where there's almost no room for understanding or moving position because it's win or lose. Mm-hmm. I have to make sure that my position won yours. Sometimes right. it's about, oh shit, I didn't see it from that point of view and you're right. And I think the Black Lives Matter moment was a huge demonstration of how people shift their point of view quite fast mm-hmm. and realizing like that was there we just were not seeing it and now we've listened and we've seen this and now we're going to change with it and I think that's something to celebrate it's nothing shameful and the opposite I think that's the journey we should all be taking they be open to you know when is my time to shut up and listen and give myself room to improve and learn more hey there my fellow inspiration junkies Do you miss browsing shelves for books, movies, and music? Denver Public Library is still here for you, offering these great resources both online and curbside. Tell Denver Public Library what you like to read or what you're craving, and they'll send you a whole entire personalized reading list with five to eight customized recommendations just for you. You can even place holds of up to 10 items that you can pick up curbside at most locations. How's that for convenience? Need a library card? No worries. Register for an e-card today and immediately access hundreds of e-media resources like e-books, audiobooks, music, movies, and so much more. And yes, it's all still free. I'm not ashamed to admit that I am totally a library junkie. You can call me a nerd if you want to, honey. I'll take it. Denver Public Library branches will be reopening soon, so make sure you check out denverlibrary.org for the latest info, and don't forget to follow Denver Public Library on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Smooches! Listener perks alert! I'm excited to tell you about Libro FM. It lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same prices as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. For every purchase you make on Libro FM, a local bookstore of your choosing it's half the profits. It's a super simple way to shop local right from your own phone. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and you don't know what to listen to next, check out the recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. Listeners of That's What She Did podcast can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Who doesn't love a BOGO? I know I do. Go to Libro FM, that's 
L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and enter code SHEDID. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Now, how's that for a listener perk? Absolutely. It's a growth mindset. That's what it is. (laughs) It's not being so set in your ways and believing that you know the answer. And I think it's hard. I do think it's hard for adults to do it. Kids seem to not have trouble with this at all, which is one of the reasons why I love that you're writing children's books. (laughs) So let's talk about Mika and Lolo. We'll get to your other projects, but I want to talk about Mika and Lolo right now because this is the book that you originally sent to me. And I just think it's so adorable for our listeners who can't see this video. (laughs) It's this adorable bilingual English-Spanish children's book about gender stereotypes, right? So why don't you walk us through a little bit about what Mika and Lolo is about? So it, it was originally Spanish and English, but it is now translated also in French, Italian, and German. So now there's like a lot of different combinations. Mm-hmm. But so Mika Lolo, it's a book about two cousins. Um, Mika, which is a girl and is the one narrating the story. And Lolo, which is her favorite person. And it's her cousin. And they don't understand why they're treated differently just because they're a boy or a girl. So they just go into this sort of journey where they just try to understand what is happening and with the help of um, her father. So I thought it was very important too because normally the go-to person is always the mom in the books and I think it's important to just share co-responsibility in education. So there was Mm -hmm. the dad and he just helped them to go through the world of discriminations and you know just invite them to critically think and question why why this is not right and why is it right and then just being able to talk about it understand that just because it happens doesn't mean that it's right and it should define who you are so you can understand that that's a stereotype that is wrong and then you can overgrow it and I think it's particularly important because kids do not do that kids don't question things kids just assume that because it's everywhere it's what it is so it's a bit topical book in which kids are like why are we treated different that sounds weird and then an adult helped them navigate it because what I want to kids is to actually realize that that's weird and they should and I want to give them that moment where they're like Mika and Lolo are right why this is not right and I relate more with this and not but yeah so the book is just about self-esteem and critical thinking mm-hmm. I want kids to just love themselves and understand that whoever they are being who you are is hard enough. We all come in completely different ways, with different personalities, different physics, different everything. And I think it's hard enough. And if you have to match the expectations and just follow the limitations that they give you just because you're a boy and a girl, then, then you're leaving a big part of you behind. So it was just about them embracing who they are without that fitting feeling and yeah just tell them to question things and also just challenge adults because very easy adults tell us something and I mean we since the moment they're born we tell them we're right Mm -hmm. you you just have to trust me and when we keep sending them those messages they feel like okay well that's what it is I mean so I want this book to be empowering for kids to challenge adults to and ask them why Kids ask why all the time, don't get me wrong, all the time. But it's very rare that they 
challenge gender stereotypes because they come from everywhere tv clothes books conversations so it's very difficult for them to understand that it's a social construct for them it's just what it is Mm -hmm. so yeah I just wanted to give them an out an early out for them to start (laughs) just questioning right how was this received because I think this is the book Mika y Lolo was beautifully done right it's very appropriate for a young audience but I think if you look at the the topic of addressing gender stereotypes and providing sort of an opportunity, I would call it maybe, for kids to, as you say, challenge adults' thinking, that's going to make adults uncomfortable. (laughs) I just know that there were some people that looked at this and were like, oh, hell no. (laughs) No, thank you. Yeah, to be honest, I don't think it's a book that somebody that thinks that kids by nature are different it's ever Mm -hmm. gonna buy to their kids Mm -hmm. I hope that somebody just give it to the kids (laughs) in secret and they can challenge their parents the parents hate me and I'm fine with that but yeah the the book has been really really well received even with people that don't normally will agree with that because I think and you've read it it's the examples are quite simple and because it speaks with a tone that it's for kids and it speaks mostly with the voice of a kid. Mm-hmm. For adults, it's much easier to get into that moment where they will have to explain to their kids, no, that's normal, suck it up. Because you can't, if you are honest with yourself, you can't just tell if this case were real, it would be very difficult for any person to tell, no, sorry, Mika, Lolo, you're just different and you're going to have to learn that what is right for you is not right for you. Mm-hmm. So because the examples are very, you know, are very easy and the tone, it comes from the voice of a kid, the impact it had in adults, it's been great. Really, really, really positive. And more, I was going to say more so than with kids, but that would not be fair. But I got really good feedback, even from people that would not initially think like that and have mm-hmm. texted me saying that that was very thought provoking for me when I was reading it for my kids. That was really good feedback for me, knowing that it speaks to adults in the shape of a kid. And another thing is that it has spoken more to boys than to girls. Really? Yeah, that was something that surprised me a bit. I mean, girls have liked it and I got really good feedback from girls, but the most, maybe it's just the feedback that has touched me the most, it's been with boys that don't feel that they identify with the idea of boys that it's presented always. And they were just sort of respected in other ways mm-hmm. like a lot of shy kids or kids that just like things that are not normative mm-hmm. and not meaning anything as in I'm not even talking about kids that might be you know with any uh, transgender kids or or anything which hopefully it'll be helpful for them too but but just boys that feel like I just don't want to be always the alpha Mm -hmm. boy I don't want to play with a truck yeah I don't want to be I just sometimes I just want to be the quiet kid Mm -hmm. I just want to be the kid that it's playing along with other kids but doesn't need to be the center of the world and that is okay and I just want to hug my mom or my granny and and I'm sensitive and that's fine and that is good so I got really really positive feedback from boys that felt that these boys really spoke to them mm-hmm. that has really touched me that's amazing so Mika y Lolo is written for like a like a six to eight year old audience is that 
the range? Yeah, to be honest, I hate that question. Okay. <laughs> get asked that question. Fair okay. enough. I think there is, because the images are quite easy, mm-hmm. like it can, I tell it to my kids and they're like two and three, four, and I just don't read it, read it, but I just go and tell them a story in, in a certain way. But also kids that are, can read them themselves, they enjoy it because they can read it themselves, but then maybe older kids like the language part. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of kids that really like it, that they're around maybe 10, but they're learning the second language mm-hmm. and they like being able to read it in a language and using the other one as support because it's simple, but it works. So I think the age is a bit dependent. So- it's a really for a larger child audience. Because, and I totally see that. I mean, I saw that it was, I don't know, does the publisher have to rate it for a certain age group? Because I saw yeah. somewhere that it was like, it's for six to eight year olds or something like that. And, you know, as I told you before we started recording, I'm actually keeping this for my niece, who is, she's only two, but I think it's totally age appropriate for her. Of course, she can't read yet. <laughs> She's not there yet. She's barely putting together full sentences. But I still think that, you know, she likes for somebody to sit and read a book to her. You can still sort of open the conversation and start to introduce the ideas. And you're right, the illustrations are very child-friendly, I think, for almost any age. So I just so for our listeners to know who are interested in checking this book out, I'm keeping this one for my niece. Virginia was kind enough to send me a copy, and I'm going to give it to my niece. And then hopefully when my nephews, who are under the age of one currently... are a little bit older, we can read this to them as well. So I think it's probably appropriate for lots of different age groups. And my copy is English and Spanish, which is also wonderful because my niece is starting to learn Spanish now. So I think this will help her along as well. So thank you for that. I did. That's going to travel. Yes, it is going to travel. This will be sent to Saudi Arabia shortly. So... <laughs> One of the things that I know that you do, Virginia, is you've moved beyond the book and are taking these lessons into schools and talking about gender stereotypes in classrooms with kids. So tell us a little bit about that experience. What has come out of that? How has it been received? What are maybe some surprising things that you've learned? I love going to schools. I find that kids are so amazing. So when I go to schools, I, I do this activity, well, depending on the time, but I always do this activity in which I separate them in group of two or three and then give them a paper with a lot of words and they have to choose if that word and that concept is for boys, for girls, or for both. So it's things like unicorns, dinosaurs, and butterflies, music, forever, like a huge list. And I tell them to debate and then... I ask, whenever they're feminists, I ask questions like, okay, so who thought that dinosaurs were for boys? Somebody raised their hands. Who thought it wasn't? Somebody raised their hands. I was like, why? And I asked them to talk and explain to each other because I think that's part of the magic. Let them explore and ask themselves and arrive to the conclusions. And then I try just to guide the conversation. I say, oh, who was last time in... Like there was a big dinosaur that was brought to the Northern Ireland Museum. It's been touring. The Mm -hmm. dinosaur has been touring in all UK. And so I was like, oh, uh, for example, like, has anybody gone see? Yeah, who liked it? Everybody raised their hands. And I was like, (laughs) 
I'm pretty sure you said boy, dinosaurs are for boys. So you must have not liked it. No, no, but I like it. I said, but you're a girl. Yeah, but it was cool. Everybody seemed to like plant or, you know, or just mm-hmm. um, unicorns, a huge one. Unicorns is like a blocker. So I'm like, oh yeah, well, my son loves horses, but I have to tell him and that he can like horses. That's fine. But if I put a horn into a horse, then that's not okay anymore for him to like. And they're like, no, 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 he can like you. It's like, <laughs> you sure? I'm pretty sure we all agreed that unicorns were a no-no for boys. What are the unicorns? Are they not horses, literally horses with horns? So they're like, oh, yeah. And it's great to see them debate. And it's great to see them change their mind and just come into that point where they're like, oh, yeah. And yeah. And I was like, if only were that easy in the pub. I know. <laughs> I mean, like, every time I'm having arguments with, I don't know, my husband's friend, if it was as easy as, that was right, move on. <laughs> no, never that easy with adults. Um, so yeah, it's just really good. And then I ask all the questions again and yeah, I completely change their mind. And then I read them a little bit of the book and we talk about their own experience. And I ask them, you know, tell me a time where you were told that you couldn't do something or you feel that there's something that you like that you can't and I think even just exploring those conversations with them and get them to make peace and questioning and and thinking a bit farther and even just to ask why and mm-hmm. because they're in a classroom and they have the support of each other it is really nice because kids do support each other I mean when somebody's like oh I don't like I like playing football, but they don't let me. There's always somebody that's like, but you should. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always that peer support from very early stages that it's really, really nice to see. So yeah, I really like that. And the feedback from teachers, is, it's been really good, especially with kids that have suffered some kind of bullying. Mm-hmm. They said that suddenly seeing themselves protected and supported by the whole classroom about things that maybe were challenging for them before has been really important so wow it seems like it would also help students really start to develop their critical thinking skills why do I actually think that yeah (laughs) like and why do they I mean it's so imposed under the name of nature we just put everything that's nature like that is it though so yes it's just beautiful to see and being able to facilitate those realizations and that that exercise of critical thinking and give them that tool for the future so Mm -hmm. it's something I'm really passionate about that's wonderful so now you're this feminist right and you do this work around gender stereotypes with kids specifically which is like a niche I wouldn't have landed on personally. <laughs> you have figured it out and you're a mom of two kids, boy and a girl. So what is it like coming from your perspective, parenting your own kids around gender stereotypes? It's really interesting. I'm loving it. And um, I mean, it is challenging, but it's good. I mean, I, my kids are not aware very much of gender. I have a not, I mean... They are very aware that Eric is a boy and Noah is a girl, and they are literally obsessed <laughs> with the world vulva and penis. <laughs> like, they just nothing. walk around saying and it like, all the time. We just not talk about it to the people in their faces <laughs> or scream it in the street, please. So it's not that they think, I mean, they're aware of their own sex, but Eric sometimes will we get a lot of hand-me-downs for Nora, much more than for him. 
and every kid loves new clothes. So whenever the clothes arrive, he just checks if there's something that fits him. If something fits him, he claims his. So there was this dress and say, it's mine, I fit. I'm like, <laughs> it's yours, and then sure. So she, he has one dress and he has a, a flowery body job, a bodysuit that is girly, if you want to call it. He wears it and he has no idea. Like it would never cross his mind that he should not wear it. Mm-hmm. And none of us make a comment. And sometimes I'm out with him and he's wearing it. And I forget. So people look at us and I'm like, Mm. What? <laughs> yeah, like, I, what? It, took, it takes me a while to understand why or they make a comment as in oh look at you with your dress as in they're really trying not to make a what are you wearing a dress Eric just doesn't care like he's just like happy and superpowers with his dress and I'm like sure why not or the other day he was wearing it and I told him oh yeah granny's gonna love it I'm not sure about granddad he turned on me and was like granddad doesn't like flowers what kind of weirdo is he I'm like, <laughs> yeah he likes flowers like and then my dad was like oh yeah very beautiful he likes flowers mom he likes flowers so it's to me so beautiful how they just don't grasp it. They mm-hmm. don't have yet that that's for girls, that's for boys. In my house, there's cars, kitchens, prams, dolls, and Legos. I mean, we don't do gender things. And I, I pay a lot of attention in every toy is for both of them. And I just care that they're age appropriate and Ideally, that they don't have noises that do my head in. (laughs) The books, I check that the books are not very full of stereotypes. I check the kind of TV that they watch. And yeah, I don't think we're going to watch Peppa Pig or nope, this is not. And I just guide them. Because that's the cool thing about parenting. You have a say. Mm -hmm. You can actually decide things like, okay, that's the kind of books I want my kids to read. I just do not get them dressed in clothes that have stereotyped slogans or I always try Nora to wear comfy clothes, both of them, but it's sometimes more difficult, you know, just wear more comfy clothes and I sort of watch my language. And I know that Eric is going to go to school in September and that bubble is going to, you know, stop existing and other kids are going to tell him and that's when having the talks in the house is going to become even more important the wise yeah but what do you think and what have you seen in the house and we try to be aware of that and a a lot of things like just try to bring diversity of opinions and just books and materials and shows that we agree with and help us educate the kids in the way we want to Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm writing a book at the moment for adults, for parents about this very topic and just analyzing books, toys, clothes, mm-hmm. language, talking about neuroplasticity and the effect of stereotypes in the way our brain actually develops and who we become. So, so yeah, it's something I'm really fascinated about. So it is even more fascinating whenever you see it in your own kids mm-hmm. you see the impact of those actions in the tiny people is this other book that you you were mentioning now sort of your parenting perspective how you've parented your own children so far through this area 
It is, and it is more scientific than that. It's more research mm-hmm. than that. So it's, it's not going to be like, that's what I do, copy me. And <laughs> I got it all right. There's actual this. science. <laughs> I've, I've nailed this parenting. Let me tell you. <laughs> also because anybody that see me with my kids will be like, mm, in general, like me like, oh my God, give me a break. <laughs> so maybe, no. It's, all, it's because I read a lot and I thought, okay, if I could put all this knowledge in a, easy way for parents to understand so understandable science and and words around you know for example neuroplasticity and how the parts of the brain that we don't use especially in the earliest stages we lose them mm-hmm. basically and obviously the ones that we use the most that get reinforced so the fact that we give toys to boys that are spatial like legos and things like that make them eventually really better at those kind of things but it's not because they were born better it's because we as a society have nurtured certain skills in boys and in girls differently from the moment they're born so they do become effectively different people with different skills Mm -hmm. so all that and all the research that is done about around the stereotypes and then so yeah I just want to do an analysis of small things in life and how things that we don't really think it matters but when you put them all together it's massive sure it's not only yeah whenever people is like average is just one book or it's like it's not one book it's a thousand books plus the thousand tv plus the clothes plus the language plus the adverts plus and whenever you add it out it makes a huge impact so i'm just trying to bring that passion <laughs> into mm-hmm. a book so whenever parents read it can get the feeling of like oh well this matters and I think every parent wants more options for their kids broader horizons and nobody's interested in limiting their kids so we're just sometimes not aware that we do mm-hmm. there is that lack of awareness that I think that gets in the way so I just want to do a relatable yet educative mm-hmm. book about it so does this next book have a title and a release date yet? No, it doesn't. But okay. it has like a breathing in my neck. Like, <laughs> I should get all that done. So I wake up in the morning and I'm like, the book, book. <laughs> it's half written. It's half written and, and I have all the chapters mapped out and all, but it needs to be finished. Okay. No pressure for me at all. I'm just saying for our listeners benefit, we will just make sure and link in the show notes where to find you online. And when the book is ready, they can find you there. No pressure though. (laughs) Great. Not from me. (laughs) So that's one book that you have coming out. You have a second project coming out soon as well, right? Isn't there a book about consent? Is that a children's book? It's Mika Lola book. It's the second book of Mika Lola. So it's the same characters and it's about consent. That book it is written. It's just uh, waiting for the amazing illustrator to do her magic and make it into the beautiful thing she does. But yeah, I'm really excited about that one. I think consent, it's something we need to talk with kids. And I don't think it's ever too early to start respecting their boundaries, teaching them to respect all their boundaries. Every time I say I've written a book about consent for kids, everybody's like, wow uh tough but i it is not it's just the book talks about cases in which everybody has been their boundaries have been crossed and they how they felt about it and how that made them realize oh wow maybe i've done that with somebody else 
Mm-hmm. And then they talk with that person and that person said, oh yeah, the truth is I felt like that. But that means that maybe we've done it with somebody else. So it's, sort of, it's kind of a circle mm-hmm. in which everybody is both, has both been in the side of crossing boundaries, but also having their own boundaries crossed. So it's about peer pressure, saying no and understanding because somebody has done something once doesn't mean you're entitled to it. So it talks about different circumstances that in life happen and they're a little bit blurry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just to give that perspective to kids and those words and that conversation started in the house and that idea of you kids also have the right to set boundaries and they need to be respected and you also need to be very careful with other people's boundaries lines you know what they want um because if we teach them now we'll all be better right (laughs) i mean think about how many grown people have never had a discussion about boundaries and consent in their life (laughs) when i think about myself i can't remember anyone talking to me about like consent in dating situations until I was probably, I think I first started hearing about consent when I was in college. (laughs) No, it's crazy, but it's everybody. Right. And it's not even, it feels like consent is a yes, no thing. If it's a yes, if there's not a no, then there's consent. And it's so funny. My kids always say no means no with about everything. So you uh, you need to eat your dinner. No means no, mommy. I'm like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> I don't think that's how you play it. But I think there's so many other situations in which consent can feel blurry. Like you may not have said no, but you've made very clear and somebody has kept insisting and insisting and insisting till you just did it because you feel pressured. And we've been there. I think everybody has been there in a way or in another. And I think we need to talk about those things and we need to empower people to understand all those situations and taking responsibility of how much they pressure and one is a no and when do they need to hear a yes and when do they need to stop and and I think it's something we need to do with kids Mm -hmm. because if you educate kids you don't need to punish adults you just you know make it easy and include it in the way you live so that is good also with that book we're bringing more diversity also in characters I one of the things when I did make a lot of somebody told me like oh, I love this book but can you make sure there's more people of color in the next one mm-hmm. and I didn't even didn't even cross my mind like well yeah I mean that was like two years ago but I was like oh my god it's true <laughs> this book is extremely white they are a family and they're a white family and I wrote it, but then suddenly now when I see it, like, yeah, Michael, I need more friends. So these new books, it's hopefully bringing just more diversity. And that's something I want to keep doing in the next ones. I want to be talking about saying like different kinds of families. I want Michael to be talking with their friends and all their different kind of families, because there's not only one way, you know, there's not only mom, dad, and me. So I want to use the collection of Mika Lolo to just bring those topics into the houses so parents and educators can just have a conversation starter and the kids can have characters that they can relate with, that they spark those kindness, empathy, critical thinking, all those qualities that we don't maybe develop enough. 
Amazing. That's a big dream. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. It could be a whole series of Mika y Lolo and their friend mm-hmm. adventures, right? Like <laughs> all the That's lessons. The That's the goal. <laughs> all the lessons that we need to learn that many of us didn't learn until much later in life, but after we had caused some damage to ourselves mm-hmm. and potentially others. So I'd love it for our audience. Please check out Mika Ilolo. There will be a link in the show notes for you. Also, while you're at it, head over to the Feminist Shop. They have great products and merchandise that are very empowering. So go check them out. It will also be linked in the show notes. Virginia, thank you so, so much for joining us all the way from Ireland. I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I've been telling everybody I'm going to be in a podcast in America. (laughs) Makes me feel really special. You're famous. (laughs) That's how it works, isn't it? I know. I wish I could make you famous, but hopefully somebody Um, with actual power will hear this. I'll take it. I feel really, I already feel very famous in this conversation with you. I feel like we're two famous people talking. I'll take it. I love it. I like that idea. We'll just pretend that we're very famous. Well, thanks again for joining me and to our listeners. As always, I appreciate you so much for being here, for continuing to share this podcast, for learning about the brilliant women that I feel so honored to have on this show. So we are going to call it a day for now. Thank you for joining us for season six. Make sure you come back next week to hear from another incredible author and head over to our website, that's what she did podcast.com, for an opportunity to win one of the books from our author lineup this season. You don't want to miss it. You can follow us on social media. That's where we hang out the most on Instagram. That's what she did podcast. And make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. That's how you are going to know when the next episode is available because we know that you're busy. We appreciate the time with us. So subscribe. You don't even have to think about it. It'll be there, right there in your podcast catcher. Until next time, we out. We out.